2: Go to TireRack.com slash sports. That's TireRack.com slash sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. That's TireRack.com, TireRack.com, TireRack.com. The way tire buying should be.
3: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss.
2: Fox Sports Radio, welcome inside the Jason Smith Show with my best friend, Mike Harmon. Hobo. Broadcasting live from the TireRack.com studios. TireRack.com, will help you get there. An unmatched selection, fast free shipping, free road hazard protection, and over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Take that for data. Now, we're going to get to... The most obvious headline in the world coming up in a couple minutes. But, Mike, you know, going back is never fun, right? I always think about going forward and, and, and being forward thinking, but sometimes we need to go back. We need to, you know, go back and, and, and address something that has happened or was said in the past. And, uh, you,
1: Are you know. Are just going to go back to last night? I mean, I, no, cause there's no, been no, amendments, no. corrections, and retractions to. No, no, no. We, we got to go Actions, activities, and words said. No, we we, we got
2: to go back a little further than that because we got to go back to I mean a few months ago because we want to be accurate here on the show and always understand that when we say things there are ramifications. And there are,
1: there are. And is that only applied to us? No, <laughs> well when? there are. I mean, I mean people got to
2: understand that decisions have consequences and and you know there are ramifications. I did say. Before the season started, Aaron Judge was going to win AL MVP. I did say that. 56, 57. Aaron Judge now four away from Roger Maris. And notice how it's four away from Maris, four away from the Yankee record, four away from the AL record. Everybody's getting really comfortable with... This is the real record that I want to sell. And I tell you, they all this suck. This is the real record. No,
1: because the, they all got fat and happy and rich during the time of the PEDs and the superheroes when the multiverse opened its gates. So don't go back and be, play revisionist history now and try to kick away everything that Sosa, McGuire, and Bonds did as if it was some aberration and a bad dream out of some cheeseball late 80s horror film. I hate it. Everybody voted for MVPs. Oh, we didn't know. I call BS on all of that. Well, Nobody had suspicions. Now everybody's like raising their eyebrows going, What about this guy? What about that guy? It's like, Blake you, you should have been doing that twenty years ago. And if you were doing it privately and still writing your columns without asking those hard questions, that's on you. Wow, you're already upset. You're upset. We're not even a minute into the show when you're well, you already But you brought up upset. something that, that really uh, cheeses me off in the world of sports. My Harden cheesed off in the... That's fr- right. But well, I can't, that- I can't say what I want to say. I mean, it's not, a, you know, the Toothless takes podcast or anything. <laughs>
2: maybe we maybe make that a feature on the show. Does this cheese Mike Harmon off? And I give you a topic and, yeah, no, that's fine. No, no, you know what? This cheeses me off. Well, I mean, we, I we have to like
1: decide grades of cheese. Something that's, you know, a little more pungent or maybe has some spice to it. A little more tang. I don't know. However we want to do it. But it, this is just one of those topics that... So long as I've been doing media and you've been doing it as long uh, that it, it just irks me. The number of folks that now do the get up on my soapbox and finger wag about the period when they were all collecting millions of dollars and saying not a damn thing. All of this
2: because people needed to be reminded that I said Aaron Judge. Was going to win the MVP. Notice not how all fault. the notice how all the well, it's either Judge or Otani. That's,
1: that's not. Nah, nah, people are still that's trying gone. to argue that's that now. Go- still no, not
2: not nearly as much. Not not nearly as much we hear. You know, it could be Otani. No. No, 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 not happening. Not. But come on, he's having a better vote? year than he did a year ago. This he's vote what is going to be a landslide for Aaron Judge. It's not. It's not just going to be. It's going to be. Boy, I really thought Otani may come in second, but it will be like 55 first first-place votes for Judge and one for Otani. Like that's what it's going to be. Yeah, Stevie Nicks it, is going to be, be singing close. in the background.
1: Cause the landslide brought you down.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Fifty five, one twenty one is OPS of one point one, hitting three oh I, I mean on a on a fifty seven and one twenty three. Sorry, uh, on a you know it, it, if he had a little bit of time left, and I mean a little bit of time left, you know hitting hitting three oh seven is is not too far away from.
1: Where the leader is right buddy, now, buddy. Buddy's up a couple more hitting... points. What's he at? 310, 311 yeah, now? Yeah, and
2: and Xander Bogarts is yeah. hitting three nineteen. You're talking about a potential triple crown for Aaron the Judge. P- the potential
1: happen. is there as long as Stanton can be there, even if he's just a stick figure in the batter's box. He still <laughs> has, there's the specter <laughs> that he might do something if you put, you know, if, if you put judge uh, on base so you know and and the thing is you try to dance around the the plate but right now he's dialed in once again and you get those extra at bats extra turns on the conga line and opportunity knocks i mean they're scheduled down the stretch they got a lot of dates with the red Sox. i mean Mm -hmm. both both ballparks are pretty friendly in one place or another so i mean you've got you've got opportunity here
2: So uh, Aaron Judge again, 57, Uh, game still going on right now, 4-4 in the ninth inning. So Aaron Judge potentially could get up again.
1: Hey, buddy, Uh, by by the way, he's also 20 ahead of the second place hitter in Major League Baseball, Babe Schwarber. Yeah. He's only got 37. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, I don't think Schwarber. I mean, that that hasn't happened since Ruth, right? Oh, yeah, that distance between first
2: and second? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We've been talking some 90 years. I Mm. mean, (laughs) telling you,
2: MVP, now watch out for the Triple Crown. Watch out for the Triple Crown. Uh, So we'll keep you updated there. I mean, again, Aaron Judge could bat again. Again, 4 4. Boston's batting right now in the bottom of the ninth. But uh, maybe the most predictable headline. It was last night Nathaniel Hackett, head coach of the Denver Broncos, said, hey, of course we had to kick that field goal from 64 yards out. We spent two and a half hours t- giving you 17 different angles why the Broncos should not have kicked the field goal. There was no merit. There was no iota of belief that would say, yes, I get why he, he made uh, the decision to kick the field goal instead of going for it on fourth and five. The only reason we came up, and it was, it's kind of a hot take, was that – Maybe Hackett wanted to protect Russell Wilson from potentially failing on fourth and five in Seattle, what that would do to him mentally, what that would do to the team. So I'm taking that decision out of Russell Wilson's hands. That's a live wire hot take. But nothing else made it made sense why, why 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 what do you mean we're good we're good we're good no you're not fourth and five russell wilson the money you're spending to him a kicker that's never made a kick like that before in his career it it, it didn't make sense and well then and then, then we got the stats
1: on it. On, yeah but we got the stats on wilson that later as we were looking live and and that's the good and the bad of reacting live As we got to do the uh reaction and hot take uh, and, well, right take in the moment, but we, we did it devoid of some of the data points. Russell Wilson in his career is over 40% in those situations. Mm-hmm. Getting, converting fourth and five, it's 48%
2: yeah. across the league. Like exactly. Every metric told you you go for it on fourth and five. You trust your best player, all of these things. And then he doubled down on it at the end last night. Hey, no, no, we this was a decision. We knew we wanted to get to the 46-yard line. We did it, we did it. What did we say last night? Just wait. Nathaniel Hackett is really going to understand what it means to be an NFL head coach, judging by what the reaction is going to be the next day and a half. What did he say today at his press conference the day after? Well, let's just say Hackett had a little bit different thought on it with some time to reflect. Uh, in, in the broad uh, specter of daylight. You know, looking back at it, we definitely should have gone for it. Um, just not, not, you know, one of those things, you look back at it and you say, of course we should go for it. We missed the field goal. Um, but <laughs> in that best. situation, we had a plan. I mean, we had a plan. We knew that the 46 was the mark. Uh, we were third and 15, I think, third and 13. I'm more upset about that play before it to lose yards. No, no, no. no. No, be more upset about your decision. Definitely uh, been better to be able to
7: call that same play and get extra yards. But um, he dumps it out to Javante. Javante makes a move, goes a lot farther than I think we had anticipated. We were expecting to go for it on fourth down. And then you hit the mark. You know, the mark that we had all set before we started. We said uh, 46 yards, uh, 46 yard line was where we wanted to be. And uh, we got there. So we had to make the decision if we wanted to give it to,
2: you know, Brandon. And we did. And it didn't work. Sucks. But hey, that's part of it. He, here's Look, I always say I can tell when being a head coach is too much for somebody and they're out of their depth, right? They're in over their skis. As you, they're, they're tipping out over their skis, as you like to say. Robert Sala with the Jets clearly is in over his head. Being a head coach is too much for him. Seeing how he acts, things he says that, that just make you wonder what is actually happening. You had Hackett say 46 was the magic number. We wanted to get there. So basically what he's saying is once we get there, that's where we're going to try the kick from. Um,
1: forty. When you say 40 because the kicker of, told you that yeah. he was good from there, that's it's the like, thing that really is is curious in all of this. Hey, Brandon, how far are you feel it? I can kick it from the moon, Coach. I mean, yeah. what the hell is he gonna yeah. say?
2: No, no. But I, I get. Hey, this is where I can make it from, and I understand that. But that's if hey, if it gets down to the end and we have one play left. How close do you need to be to try the field goal? 46-yard line. This is like break glass in case of emergency. From the 46-yard line, that's where I think I can make it from. It's 64 yards. But yet Nathaniel Hackett treated that like with tunnel vision, like that was the mark. And one and, and think about it. When you think about it, this is what I mean when I say being a head coach, it's too much for a guy. They got to the 46-yard line with a minute 11 left, and what did they do? They let all the time tick off the clock down to 20 seconds and then tried a 64-yard field goal. Didn't They had all three times. Timeouts could have called a timeout with a buck eleven left to go. Right, you know what you could have done there? Gone for it on fourth down. You don't get it, okay? You could have drawn up a play. You could have done anything you wanted to do, but no, no, they got there and it was like, no, that's where we wanted to get. No, dude. That's where you get to when you can try a desperation kick with one second left, or if it's fourth and 20. When it's a makeable fourth and five, or you don't have to kick from there, you go for it. And and that's what I mean about about being in over your head. He had tunnel vision into that 46-44, 46, 46 44, and that's all he had in his head because you can tell by the way he's speaking that that's what was going on. We get to that 46-yard line, that's where we're going to kick a field goal. I, I Look, I, I know that being a head coach – in the NFL is too much for him, that he's not ready for it because that decision is just so tremendously bad, it's something you don't recover from. And, and now that the next day you say, hey, yeah, we should have gone for it because we missed it, um, I, I think your head was spinning after the game when you were talking about it. I, I don't know that you really knew what you were saying at the end. But you were, yeah, we wanted to get there. We wanted to get there. I, that's what I mean. I don't know. I, I, I see coaches when I go, yep, we're just going to move on to this next head coach, and this is not going to work out. And, and when you take the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands in that game in a situation where he could have done it, guess what? Guess who doesn't have any sort of room for one more error? Nathaniel Hackett. So now if you start out 0-4 – Guess who's going to get all the blame for it? Not Russell Well, We lost that first game. Things snowballed from us. Now I'm at the point where I'm waiting for the Broncos to go. We need another guy at a head coach. And we have to just – we have to just – get through this year with what we have, and then next year spend a lot of money, call Sean Payton, say, you don't want to go to the Cowboys. You want to come here. Uh, we got to go get a guy to come in here to make sure we, that, that we know what's going on. We need a CEO head coach that's going to be able to make decisions that are the right ones for this team. Again, for Nathaniel Hackett, I'm, I'm waiting for the Broncos to replace him now because that was such an unforgivable mistake that he made that had no basis of, yes, this is
1: why you do it in reality. Well, just going back to base statistics, they have access to all the information that we have. And, and again, the fact that the guy can kick the ball that distance, okay, fine. But is it accurate? Is it his, historically, you're, you're looking at an NFL where you've got, what, two of 41 in 100 years of football. Like, it, it just doesn't happen. You're also the Denver Broncos. You're trying to crawl through what is supposed to be, by all accounts, the most difficult to navigate, division in all of football. And here's a game. You're a heavy road favorite. And obviously, you you can't take back the decisions at the goal line and and i'll defend the decisions you were you were averaging a pretty good running clip so saying hey they shouldn't have run the football these guys just have to know something about ball security that's that's on the running backs that's not on the play calling so those being handed off uh, as other reasons to go after hackett I, i think were faulty and folks just piling on um as for Russell Wilson, he's been absolved of everything by everybody, uh, except on this show. So you can check the podcast for everything we got into last night on that. But for Hackett to come back in today, oh, yeah, obviously it's a wrong call. No, you do that in the moment. You you want to stand up your guy and say, hey, you made a, made a big kick and told us that that was the distance. And he had the distance, just missed it. Okay, that's all fine and good. But, you you know, in, in that moment, you you'd already made several mistakes in terms of clock management, timeout management, down distance, and then taking the ball away from Russell Wilson. I mean, all of that just plays, and it shouldn't have taken, you know, the sleepless night and millions of tweets uh, and gifts being sent to your timeline to tell you that that was the case. So, yeah, he, he's already, what, you talk about nine lives of a cat. No. Uh, he's already on number seven.
2: No, he's going to be one and done. He's going to be a one, and everybody's going to look back at this game and go, "You never made it past this," because this is this is so egregious that it just it over it's going to overwhelm everything. I mean, it, maybe Adam GaSe will come take the jo-
3: oh too too wait too
1: soon. Too well, soon. Robert Sala said he's keeping <laughs> notes of everybody that's gone it's after soon, his friend bro. Nathaniel Hackett.
2: Well, tonight in Major League Baseball, what happened? Oh, not much,
10: just this. Swung on and drilled a deep right field. Oh, wow. That ball is high. It is far. It is gone. Into the Boston bullpen. A judgy and blast. Aaron Judge drills into the right center field bullpen. As he rounds third all rise, here comes the Judge. The 1-1. Swung on, there it goes, deep left field, it is high, not as far, and it has gone out of the building. Over the high green monster, over the monster seats, out onto Lansbone. He is phenomenal. The second home run of the night for Judge, his 57th of the year, and we're all tied at four. Boy, is he something or what? 57 you talk about a judgy and blast that was a judgy and blast
8: this <laughs>
1: Did you he know, he really didn't really to- sell me on that 56. He sounded a little bit bored, yeah, jaded, yeah, like yeah, he was yeah. tired of it. And then he came back strong. Oh, on 57.
2: Susan, did you hear me say Judgy and Blast? Yeah. I mean, I said Judgy and Blast, Susan. You threw him a big fat one. Joining us now on the hotline. <laughs> our own Judgy and Blast. MLB Network, Fox Sports Radio, baseball insider extraordinaire. Hello, everyone. Who's got 15,000 words on J.J. McCarthy winning the starting quarterback job for Michigan? It is John Paul Morosi. J.P., what's happening, buddy?
7: I'm doing outstanding, my friends, and I will begin. Uh, we will uh, speak plenty about Aaron Judge. Trust me, but I, I do want to mention one thing because we have made some sport of my somewhat tangential following of the NFL and specifically the local team uh, here in Michigan. And and so Sunday, I, I was catching some uh, wisps of reports on on Twitter about oh, the Lions are making it interesting. It's only a three point game. This could be interesting, and I, I turned on the broadcast to, for the first time in the entire game when the Eagles had that third down around midfield with about two minutes, 20 seconds left. I said, okay, the Lions get to stop here, they get the ball back, and this could get interesting. And here comes the third down run, one or two missed tackles, long run, two-minute warning, Game over. So I saw one play of the entire game. There were, there were more than 70 points scored. I saw one play and I said, looks like the Lions. Get back to the family now, guys. There's not much, <laughs> not much more to see here. So that was, we have talked. So I, I can now say, I have watched the Lions play this season and in my expert assessment, they look like the Lions have always looked.
1: Well, there they did go. rally from seventeen down and, and yes, made that, that it. Yeah, that is
7: also so. very on brand. No, nothing <laughs> surprised me there. Interesting first week. With, with hints of optimism, but ultimately unfulfilling, and new questions about a familiar coach, uh, th- This I have seen this movie before. I, I have not, even without having watched this team for the better part of the last decade and a half, I have still seen this movie before. It's all looks and sounds very familiar to me hey this john
2: palmarosi he sounds like a pretty good analyst does he watch the lions all the time no i haven't seen no. a game in 10 years no. Hire him. He I, sounds have, great. I have
7: not watched the team closely since 1991 but <laughs> i have i have watched the team at the exact right distance that one should watch them which is like a handful of plays every year and it, it doesn't really ever change
10: all right. There you go. That's, that's what I got.
7: And, and again, there's, there's been no change in the, in the baseline status of the team since the one playoff game they won against Dallas in the winter of 1991-92. That was it. So uh, we're going three decades now. But, anyways, uh, we digress. Aaron Judge, what a night. And I, I want to make this point about Judge. He hits he two home runs. He's getting ever closer to Maris. And not only did he hit two home runs tonight, but he hit them on, on two very different pitches against two very different pitchers to two different parts of Fenway Park. One to right center, and then one on the Lansdowne Street, as we heard from John Sterling's call. Um, we are running out of adjectives here uh, to describe both him and Otani, for that matter, but my goodness. And this is, this is a really good example, both – of those hits, both those home runs, came with the game close, in a game that went into extra innings, in a game the Yankees really needed to win. They're still ahead rather comfortably in the American League East, but a loss tonight would have begun to change the narrative in a more substantive way, and in a game that went to extra innings, he was there again. He has answered the bell every single time. While playing a lot of center field in the process, Otani obviously is doing things that no one's ever done before. I have said on multiple occasions and believe it's still true, there are two correct answers for this MVP award. Probably depends on how you define it, but, but the value the judge is bringing to his team cannot be disputed because they've been listing for a while and it's number 99 who is now stabilizing the ship.
1: JP. Let me ask the the obvious thing that I guess flows out of this going forward. How the hell do you not just hold up four fingers and point down to first base every time he walks to the plate?
7: Well, that's a very fair question. And I think that you may see, in some cases, uh, teams having to do this, but I, but I, I think that one of the more important uh, aspects of, of where of where judge and the Yankees are right now is is the change. In in the, the lineup construction around him, and and the way that you kind of avoid it is, I suppose, tonight you've got Judge batting lead off and playing center field, and then remember who he was uh, celebrating with after he crossed the plate following his his home run. It's John Carlos Stanton, and Stanton is not his former MVP self. He's batting 218 this season, but there is still enough power and certainly enough fear that that pitchers look at him in the, in the on deck circle and say I don't want I really don't want to face judge but I also really don't want to face Stanton with an extra run around base and and that's why this team is fundamentally different when Stanton is there he changes the game he changes the way that that judge is approached and to me tonight that was part of that was a huge part of the story yes judge is the story but stanton's presence behind him and judge batting leadoff i think is a really crucial part of why this this game went in favor of the yankees
2: now the thing is jp we've had the mvp conversation before and as time goes on now the the distance between he and shohei otani is growing but now a new part of the conversation okay yeah here he is you know Getting set to break Roger Maris's mark, leads the league in home runs, leads the league in RBI, only eight points back of leading the league in batting. We could have a triple crown year, right, for Aaron Judge, and no one's talking about that.
7: Well, I think it's a great point, and and I think it's important that we we point that out. Certainly, Paul Goldschmidt's had a, a run at it in the National League as well. Uh, but you're spot on about the triple crown, and if he gets a triple crown, this is where to me. I, I think it's really interesting as as a voter, I really pride myself on on looking at the, the players' production in the context of of the team success and and what that means and the contribution overall to the team and obviously what what the team has done over the course of the season and I really don't necessarily believe that, for example, when Miguel Cabrera won the mVP in in two thousand and twelve that it was expressly because he won the Triple Crown. I thought he was on his way to winning the MVP even before that because he had elevated a team in the Tigers to the postseason when they really needed him to do so. And so from where I sit, if I was going to look at the attributes of why judge could be supported as as the MVP or why someone would would vote for him, to me, it would have much more to do with in terms of any numbers that are not directly related to his to his production. It would be A, that he's done it while playing center field, B, that he's done it uh, consistently for a team that, that had a real crisis in the month of August, and, and he has helped bring him out of that. And then I really think later on down, What's the difference between him, him truly hitting sixty, sixty-one, or sixty-two in terms of the overall value of his season? I, I've always been a believer that that one more home run should not necessarily make him the MVP. I get it; it's it's a big deal with the, with respect to the narrative, and those are all important points. But I, I for me the the distinction of being a triple crown winner or even having the all-time uh, American League record is not as important to me as what Judge has done defensively all season long, what he's done on a team that's going to the playoffs, if that makes sense. I'm just basically saying that the additional one-home run more than someone else, it doesn't make him any more or less of a player. It's just basically what the competition's all about. And I think that, that to me, is, is how I look at it. And I certainly think it's historically important, and it's on some level part of why he's having a special season. But I don't see that as directly dictating who I would vote for in the MVP race.
1: JP, the Cubs pull off the biggest upset in Major League Baseball since September of 2019, a plus-340 money line as they take down the sinking, spiraling Mets. Are they out of gas?
7: (laughs) Well, Jason, I, I think I actually heard Jason lean forward in his chair to listen ever closer to to my answer here. Um, but you're right, obviously, to lose a game with Degrom on the mound is a surprise, especially when you consider where the Cubs are—about uh, 20 games under 500. I, I think right now they they might be running out of gas a little bit. And you think about all the miles on Degrom, the miles on Scherzer this season. Uh, I I'm a little worried about. Them. I'm a little worried for me, Mike and Jason, about uh, their their bridge in the bullpen to to get to Diaz. We know how great Diaz is, but I I think that that link-up between the starter and and the bullpen concerns me a little bit. And then I think specifically the the offense, they've really relied in in a very interesting way on on Eduardo Escobar, who wasn't really one of their main players for a lot of the season, but he has been one of the guys that's been relatively productive for a while. I think tonight – when, when you don't have Nemo on base, when you, don't have, when you don't have Lindor on base, they're just not the same team. And I think that's where they're at at the moment. They're, just, they're, not, they're not quite having the same amount of traffic on the bases that they normally get. And McNeil, I think, has had a really solid year. Obviously batting third now. He may well win the batting title. So it, they, they do seem to be on fumes a little bit to my eye, but the, the postseason is its, own, is its own separate tournament. And I think for that reason it's really important for the Mets to win the division Division get the three days off as opposed to if you don 't win the division then you 're going to probably be at home uh, likely uh, facing potentially even the Phillies, uh, w- which would be a really interesting matchup so so the, you would have a, I think a tougher road to, to get in, certainly if you finish second because of just the way the bracket works out. They need that weekend of rest, I think guys, more than a lot of teams do right now
2: Oh, everybody needs rest all right now lastly <laughs> JP and now the biggest the biggest question we're going to have tonight, if the Dodgers win, do they jump in the pool? Do they jump uh, in the pool in Arizona? This Dave Roberts said, I don't know if we're going to, but it's hot, JP. Heat wave across the country. I'm thinking I'm jumping in the pool.
7: Yeah, it's a great question. I think the answer is no. I, I did not see any reports of Yasiel Puig or Matt Kemp or Andre Ethier uh, joining the fray here uh, to celebrate as they did all those years ago. So I I would say no, especially just given the general, given the professionalism of the Dodgers. I mean, this is this is a group that's been there so many times, and even the guys that haven't, been there for all the time they they they're world series champions and guys like Freeman and Mookie so I, I just think that they know that this is not their last celebration and they ought to be uh, judicious in how they celebrate this you know that they always say to 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 coin the the sentiment and expression of of the the star running back when i last watched the lions regularly Barry Sanders Act like you've been in the end zone before. And that was always Barry's thing. Toss the ball to the referee. I think the Dodgers tonight, they just toss the ball to the umpire and say, hey, thanks, division title's been booked, uh, and now it's on to October.
2: He's on Twitter, at John Morosi. That is at John Morosi, MLB Network, Fox Sports Radio, baseball insider extraordinaire. About to take a dip in his own pool as soon as he hangs (laughs) up with us.
7: Uh, It's getting a little chilly here in the great state of Michigan, where, by the way, as expected, J.J. McCarthy is now the quarterback for, for, I think, the foreseeable future and probably the balance of this year and probably the next one, too. He, He looked quite good over the weekend.
2: He's a man of many talents, John Paul Morose. JP, as always, buddy, appreciate it. Uh, Good luck in the khakis this weekend.
7: I appreciate it, guys. All the best. Thank you. See you, buddy.
3: Be sure to catch live editions of the Jason Smith Show with Mike Harmon weekdays at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific.
4: Hi, this is Jay Glazer, and you may know me from the world of football or fighting or even shows like HBO's Ballers. What you don't know is for my entire life, I have lived in something I refer to as the Grey depression anxiety so now i'm coming out with a new podcast unbreakable a mental health podcast with jay glazer where each week while we talk about mental health i hope to describe it give it words listen to unbreakable with jay glazer on the iheart radio app apple podcasts or wherever
0: you get your podcasts there are some things that are too good to keep a secret like how your amex platinum card helps you have the perfect trip i'd like to check into the centurion lounge Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
3: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick
2: Getting set to join us on the hotline right now to break down the big story in the NBA today. NBA writer, insider for NBA.com, Mark Medina, friend of the show, longtime friend of the show. He's on Twitter at Mark G underscore And you probably woke up today and saw the big news that Suns owner Robert Sarver, in a story that we had heard had been coming for a while because of the investigation going on, he gets suspended for a year and fined $10 million after investigation found conduct clearly violated workplace standards. Some of the things Sarver was found to have done is use the N-word at least five times when recounting the statement of others. Instances of inequitable conduct towards female employees, sex-related comments, inappropriate comments on employees' appearances. This is all over a 17-year period. Now, Mark, I say to you, all of this stuff happened. This is an investigation. This is not allegations. This is what an investigation found. And he only gets a year suspension? I mean, really? He's not He's not taken out of control and it's going to be a Donald Sterling situation? Because this is pretty bad, man.
11: Yeah, it's very disappointing. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver should have made the same decision that he applied to Clippers owner Donald Sterling, where he didn't wait. Uh, He announced that Sterling would be banned for life, and then there would be a formal vote for Sterling to have to sell the team, and that's exactly what should have happened here. And I think that you hit it on the head that this wasn't a he said she said sort of thing. This was an investigation that involved interviews, you know, them or Reviewing 80,000 pages worth of emails, text messages, getting specific uh, instances on the record through a 17-year period of him saying the N-word to different players and coaches and employees, saying sexually inappropriate things to female employees, to players, uh, you know, yelling and cursing at them, I mean, he basically, Robert Sarver, committed every single sin that you can think of from an HR workplace standpoint component. So while, you know, being an NBA owner doesn't require you to, uh, you know, all of a sudden become a saint, you are you are required to have a very uh, conductive workplace environment that isn't filled with HR violations, and here, that's all it is. And it's through a 17-year period. So very disappointing that the NBA uh, made this decision that it's only a one-year ban and a $10,000 or $10 million fine. Both of those punishments are slaps on the wrist, and for a league that has prided itself on being, you know, part of the social justice conversation, you know, they fell woefully short and trying to uh you know be on the right side of history with us
1: mark when reading the Suns' response and their statement trying to claim hey you know it's 18 years is a long time and we've grown a lot and institutionally we put some things in place uh to grow is is that a big part of how you you get the proverbial slap on the wrist because i know that's the strategy being employed in washington uh, as related to daniel snyder like look what we've done these last couple of years
11: well look you know it's documented that as far as from a monetary and resource standpoint that there's been support for the phoenix mercury and the wmba and different charities whatever you can still do all these great things but still be a repulsive owner that commits multiple hr violations and uh, has a terrible work in environment so just because you do good deeds doesn't absolve you from doing the bad deeds right and then the second thing because this is a fact that it, this spans through 17 years that's not a positive thing that reflects that he was warned uh, multiple times through almost two decades of very repulsive behavior, and yet he refused. To change that behavior. So just because he did the the nice PR things, as far as, you know, monetary support in the community, within the organization, and saying the right things publicly when it pertains to, you know, the Suns' efforts, for example, with protesting an immigration bill in 2010, or, you know, uh, being supportive of the Suns, as well as all the other NBA teams when the George Floyd killing happened, how they wanted to use that event uh, to have a large Discussion in terms of protests and initiatives in regards to racial justice. Uh, you know, those things are fine and dandy, but if you're committing all these other sins, you have to be accountable for that. And so, again, that's the disappointing part. This is all documented, and I know, unlike Donald Sterling, there wasn't, you know, a tape uh, or video that showed these conversations, but it's all in the report. And this should outrage the NBA so much that they should think that he's not fit for an owner, but clearly they acquiesced and decided, you know what, let's just do the slap on the wrist. And I can't help but think that because, you know, the Suns are a winning organization and there wasn't this public outcry, you know, over these kind of allegations the same way that Sterling attracted it, uh, that the NBA didn't feel the same kind of pressure.
2: You know, here's the thing that that I keep coming back to, Mark, is that the Donald Sterling situation happened in the middle of the playoffs and Adam Silver had to act because the players are going to walk off the court. And that's the only time he really has had a backbone for anything that regards discipline, like everything else. Like he doesn't want to do anything that requires him coming down on somebody, right? But what are the odds now that the players say – oh, no, no, this isn't good enough. This is not good enough. The N-word all these times, how they've acted towards women, no, this guy's out, and the players take a little bit more responsibility. Maybe they threaten a boycott. Maybe they threaten not to play something else where this isn't the end of the story, and maybe it ends up with Robert Sarver not running the Suns.
11: Well, hey, look, we'll wait and see. You never know. Obviously, Chris Paul's uh, you know a pretty hefty leader, and even though he's not directly involved with the players' union anymore, he obviously has those ties. Um, and you just never know, given the fluid climate that we're in. But I think the reality is these allegations first surfaced last year, and everyone in the organization had every opportunity to comment. Now, I do understand from a you know. If I'm Chris Paul or any other player, or I'm Monty Williams, the head coach, I understand the precarious position they're in. They're they're an employee, and you know, uh, you attach this to the real world. Everyone may work for. Uh, you know, a boss that leaves them, you know, having mixed feelings and you don't quite know what to do. And so I think that that is an untenable situation. Frankly, as much as I would applaud and uh, any player's efforts to, you know, continue to beat the drum, in fairness to them, this shouldn't be their responsibility. You know, that's why the NBA has leadership positions to begin with like the commissioner like they're supposed to be accountable for these type of decisions so are the owners so while i do welcome whatever however the players want to react to it if they don't you know uh raise their voices the same way that they did when the donald sterling tapes came out uh, i would totally understand it's not their responsibility
1: Mark, to that that point, uh, Jason and I were talking about it a little bit earlier. To me, it feels like a Friday afternoon news dump, right? We have the huge Monday night football ending <laughs> that everybody's debating all the craziness of the college football weekend, weekend one of the, the NFL, that this story will kind of – it comes in, and obviously we're giving it a, a lot of time. But on the, the larger scale, it, it may fall – fall aside by time everybody gets back into camp and the NBA is back on the map.
11: Yeah, it's a really good point. I mean to the, to what your guy's saying, unlike Donald Sterling, this didn't happen during the playoffs. This didn't happen when, you know, there was an immediate opportunity to get players to comment. So, you know, maybe some of that dies down. Um we'll wait and see, but you know, I certainly hope just from an accountability standpoint that this isn't the end of the story that, you know, there is more and more of an outcry to the nba um to you know react further and i know that they're you know in fairness to the league and i say that word loosely but there is a procedure that you know this is on the whims of what the board of governors i.e the different owners feel but again using the donald sterling situation as a precedent adam silver didn't wait for a formal vote he said Donald Sterling's banned for life. And then after that, that's when the vote was held that, hey, Donald Sterling also has to sell the team. Um, He should have done the exact same thing with Robert Sarver, especially with the climate that we're in in 2022.
2: He's on Twitter at Mark G underscore Medina. That's at Mark G underscore Medina, NBA.com reporter and insider. The once and future head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. Mark, as always, buddy, appreciate your time stopping by with us here. We'll talk to you next week. Have
11: fun. I appreciate you guys.
3: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, sports scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics,
5: I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We're the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast.